Hello and welcome to Memory Lane. Each episode, I take a trip down Memory Lane with a very special guest as they bring in four photos from their lives to talk about. To check out the photos that we're talking about, they're all on the episode image and you can also see them a bit more clearly on our Instagram page. So have a little look at Memory Lane podcast. Come on, we can all be nosy together. Joe, so I've got your pictures in front of me. Thank you for sending them. Pleasure. This photograph of you as a kid, is this posed or is this an entirely natural shot? Uh, it doesn't look natural and thankfully, no, it isn't uh, natural. It's a school photo. I mean, that isn't a traditional school photo, is it? That is quite an unusual... Because it's you do. it's been posed and you've got books behind you and it's, you know... It's, all my school photos are in one of those awful booths you know with a crappy backdrop but this is a really lovely picture well I I think it was uh, because they used to do you know the big group ones where we all went out on the village green and then um they they did individual ones as well which were inside in the headmaster's office so Ah. I think that's where that must have been yeah I know they really went to town then there was the bikini shot and (laughs) uh no not really (laughs) Do you remember? Uh, do you remember yeah. this being taken? No, I don't. I don't remember what happened last week, Kerry. To be honest, I know me too. And were you bookish? Do you know what? I kind of was at that age. Um, I was bookish, but I was also quite scared because the teachers in our primary school, which was an idyllic little primary school on a Kent village green, um, the the headmaster and his wife, uh, who was also a teacher, um, that they, they were terrifying. Oh, and really? um in it yeah they really were and in those days um you know physical punishment was sanctioned right yeah and so um seeing what they what they did to people for example one boy was talking in class and the headmaster made him go and get his shoe bags do you remember shoe bags you used to yeah, like, hang them I, up I on do. your peg with you your, your name embroidered yeah. on indeed uh, he he made him go and get his shoe bag then he he swung it round his head to get up as much momentum as he could and then hit this boy round the back of the head with it. Oh, God. And, I mean, it it was shocking. Yeah, like, that is you shocking. Know. It's like something from Roald Dahl, isn't it? Like Matilda when the kid gets flung by her plaits. Absolutely. And I remember the the woman teacher, her, her approach was humiliation. So she would... I put my hand up twice in the same morning um, to ask to go to the loo. No idea why, not a big deal. And she said to me, oh, you'll have to bring a potty into school. Oh, God. And, um, Everyone laughed at me, you know, as they would. Uh, so it was, it was kind of ruled by, ruled by intimidation, really. I mean, does that make you angry now when you look back and you think? Because when I, you know, I also have memories of that kind of just. It was an accepted part of school culture, wasn't it? That there was a bit of sarcasm, and humiliation, and things like that. It's horrible to think back on it. Yeah, particularly, you know, when. Um, you know, I'm not saying that teachers shouldn't kind of pick on kids that are well behaved, but uh, certainly they didn't seem to distinguish between kids that were well behaved and kids that were naughty. Everyone just got lashed with mm. the tongue or with something worse if they were if they were really bad, you know. So, uh, yeah, it does kind of make me angry, really. It's interesting now because there's so much focus on mental health and children's well-being, you know, in in we talk about that stuff. But it just it's relatively contemporary, really, isn't it? Oh, completely. I mean, I would say probably last 15 years, maybe, if not even a bit less than that, because it's interesting because I've got teenagers, Mm. um, as have you, I think. Yeah, my daughter's 13. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so you get to see, you get a real insight into the difference in approach in secondary schools these days. And it's kind of unrecognisable, really. Yeah. But in that photograph, you don't... You see, that's the interesting thing about photography is it doesn't always tell the truth because... You're, you don't look scared. Or, you know, now you've told me, maybe I can project into it. You, you, but is that you look like a happy little girl, really. You, do, you look content and happy and well looked after. Well, I was happy apart from, you know, some days at school and some days at home. My dad was quite hard work at times. He right. had a terrible temper. And so I was scared sometimes at home and I was scared sometimes at school, but not all the time. And I was happy, really. I mean, it was... You know, we lived out in the middle of nowhere. Where did you grow up? Playing the woods. Uh, I grew up um, outside a village called Benenden in Kent. And the only reason you might have heard of it is because there's a very posh private girls school there that looks like Mallory Towers. And um, Princess Anne went there. Oh. I didn't. And, uh, <laughs> but us plebs from the village, right. we were allowed up there in the summer holidays I always used to try and have a little whittle in the pool just to show them that I was <laughs> working you, class. <laughs> did you have a sense of class? Did you sort of think it's us and them? Yeah, very much so, because my parents met each other at Young Socialists. Right. Um, and my mum was, like, really unusual for her time. She was an extremely gobby feminist who was quite left-wing. Mm-hmm. And she ruffled a lot of feathers in the village, as you can imagine, because she wasn't baking. Right. She wasn't wearing an apron 24-7. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, she used to speak up about things. So I get it from her. Were they close, your mum and dad? They got on well. They were a united front. Uh, well, um, obviously they were when they got married. But I think things just got worse as they, as they kind of got older, as we got older. Right. Because... My mum wanted to be independent and go out to work. And really, Uh, my dad came from a kind of very traditional sort of working class background in South London. Right. And despite his socialist views, he wanted, I think he wanted my mum to kind of not go to work and to do the cooking and to, you know, do that apron wearing thing and knitting and all that. And that just wasn't happening. she just didn't want to. No way. Right. And so you're one of three or you've got two brothers? Uh, yeah, one of three. Uh, my little brother, Matt, died in uh, 2015, so... Um, oh, recent. ...cancer, but, uh, yeah, pretty recent, yeah. And were you all close growing up? Uh, we were very close. We were close in the sense that we were at loggerheads. I mean, I was always the, um, you know, the butt of their bullying to some extent. Right. And so there was a lot of hitting and... You know, a lot of pinching under the table at meal time, all that sort yeah, of thing, yeah. and you know, a lot of April Fools. But actually, we were kind of, we were very close. And my greatest victory was when we were playing in the woods one day, and um, I trod in a wasp's nest, and out they all came. <laughs> and I ran one way, and my brothers ran the other way, and they chased my brothers and stung <laughs> them really badly. <laughs> well, hey. <laughs> One of my greatest victories, yeah. That's a great story. So you had very... That sounds like a rural upbringing if you've got, you know, memories of wasps' nests in woods and stuff like that. Oh, it really was. There was lots of, like, you know, hanging ropes on branches, swinging across a stream and the branch breaking, all that kind of thing. And also one thing was hilarious when I was a kid. Well, I must have been about nine. Yeah. My dad had rented a field um, because he wanted to sort of grow some Christmas trees in the woods at the side. And a local woman said, could she put her three donkeys in the field? So they were in there for about a year. And that's like heaven for us. Yeah, donkeys. 
go and lasso them and ride them, you know. And, Calamity uh, Jane, the donkeys. All... <laughs> and we've, we found out that if you touch the top of a donkey's tail, it goes absolutely bonkers. Oh, and really? So we would get kids down from school, put them on a donkey, then touch the top of its tail and Buckaroo. see what happened. I know, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> Real live donkey buckaroo. It was <laughs> it was marvellous. And then oh. what went wrong? What went wrong with the donkeys? My dad planted all his baby Christmas trees, and the donkeys broke into the woods and ate the lot. So oh God! So the donkeys had went. to go. Your your next photograph is a, is it is it a card? Have we got both sides of a card that you've sent us? Oh, you have. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I decided to use this because it's actually um, a card that was uh, sent to my granddad um, on his birthday. Yeah. Uh, in, um, I think it was in 1924, if I'm right. 26, there we go. Right. Uh, and um, I just kind of, I, I think you're, you know, you're, background going back a long way really defines you in many ways because um I, some years ago they asked me to do um uh who do you think you are yeah and uh, my mum didn't want to do it because my mum's background is kind of quite sort of um mysterious in some ways and um there was kind of a lot that went on that she didn't really want me to talk about on telly okay. So I said, okay, fine. And they said, well, we could just do it with your dad. And he was quite keen. So they investigated my dad and basically came back and said, I'm sorry, he's too boring. (laughs) There's nothing there. (laughs) Had they had a sniff that there was some good stuff on your mum's side? Well, I don't know. They never actually said that, but they they may well have done. And actually, basically what it was to do with was that my mum was split uh, my mum's parents split up with each other when she was about three and her brother right. was four. And they, the the mum and the brother stayed in Ireland and my mum and her dad stayed over here, came over here. Oh, and that's quite see, unusual for the well, time. Didn't, didn't see each other again till they were in their 60s. Oh, so, wow. um I know. I and know this is what was, your mum didn't want to unearth all this. I think it was she didn't want to go through all that, really. And I think she was kind of a bit worried they would track relatives down that she might not want, yeah. you know, to to hook up with again. I don't know, anyway. And why did you choose it? What, what does it bring up for you, that picture? Well, it just brings... Sometimes I kind of look at the date of that card and think, Oh my God, that is such a long time ago, mm. 1926. And actually, the sort, the way that society was conducted in 1926 compared to now is so unrecognisable from our lives today. Yeah. And as as we progress, it speeds up faster and faster and faster. You know. Mm. And um, and I kind of think it's sort of quite nice to to sort of hang on to those bits of your of your past um, to kind of remind you, for example, what women's lives were like in the yeah. 1920s. You know, it was all kind of flappers and do as you're told, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I know I went a bit far the other way when I started doing stand-up and I got so much kind of, oh, man-hater, la-la-la, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but actually, for me, when I started doing comedy, I felt it was the time to sort of do that, really, and to not care, because for so long, men have been able to say what they bloody well liked, 
you know. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't quite expecting, am I allowed to say this, the shit storm that happened when I started doing stand-up. But anyway, um, there you go, it did. But that's interesting that you, that because of this card and this your awareness of time and a kind of timeline, a trajectory of uh, human experience, that you could weather some of that shit storm because you go, well, actually, in the context of history, I'll, I'll weather it because I know there's a value in it. I always think that sort of pioneers of any type, you know, I'm not just talking um, sort of feminists or... No, or, but or, or just women, a consciousness. But I, they have, yeah, they have to be that little bit, well, my daughter would call it extra. Does your daughter use that? She's always saying to me, oh, God, I don't know. so extra. I don't know what the words are at all that my daughter no. uses. They don't no, make any well, sense. Um, and it means you just gone. You've gone a bit too far. Do you know what I mean? But, but I is think the implication make, you've gone too far that you should rein it in, or that you should be celebrated for going a bit that, extra? That you should. Well, in my book, that you should be celebrated. In their book, that you should rein it in. Okay. Moving on with the photos, is that uh, I can't. Let me just get them in some sort of chrono- chronological order. So the next one. Yeah, the one of me on the sofa is when I was a, a nurse. Um, at the uh that is not a nurse's uniform that you're wearing <laughs> no well there was like an am dram society at our ah. hospital and oh, so wow. we did i did um a hospital panto and i also did this this is a play called uh, the real inspector hound right. by tom stoppard and we did it at the bethlehem royal hospital down in kent which is like our sister hospital and I remember like the stage directions at the time um saying you know I was Mrs Drudge the cleaner which is why I've got curlers um, under my scarf because obviously we needed a few pointers to the obvious and um (laughs) it's it kind of said you know Mrs Drudge is kind of quite old and ugly and I'm looking at that photo thinking I look quite nice there you look really glamorous (laughs) and beautiful it's so funny how you look back on chapters of your life where you don't feel attractive and go I was attractive yeah so how come so because we've jumped a bit from you being a a kid in and now you're a nurse you're a practicing nurse or you're you're a student nurse student nurse nurse, so what so what happened between the kid in the headmaster's office and uh becoming a student nurse so you were you still in the countryside uh still in the countryside I actually my parents didn't want me to travel our our nearest grammar school which they wanted me to go to was 25 miles away and was a two and a half hour bus journey each way so I used to leave for school at 6 30 in the morning and get home about half six at night and were you happy doing that because you got to go to the grammar I did because I got to smoke out the bus (laughs) window So this is kind of contradiction between this extremely bright kid, but a very rebellious yeah. nature already. Yeah, I, I did. I started um, dating because I had a Saturday job in Boots. Right. And this really lovely guy used to keep coming in and he looked a bit like Mark Bolan. And... <laughs> in rural Kent. <gasps> oh, no, this is when we moved to Hastings. Oh, to Hastings, so, right. Yeah. And actually, it was weird because Hastings Pier had um, gigs every, um, you know, every week at music gigs. Right. So I saw T Rex. I saw. Oh, great! Uh, so you're getting into music Pistols. and culture. Yeah, and, and so I started going out with him. Uh, obviously, behind my parents' back because he was a drug dealer. Oh, right. And, okay. Uh, you, yeah, you can. It's imagine, hard to explain it? that career choice to your mum and dad, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite. It's quite hard. <laughs> and also, I was a terrible liar. Uh, was you could really just say he was lying. an entrepreneur. Well, I used to set up alibis and then completely trash them by mistake. You were a shit liar. 
a terrible liar. And this led to me coming out of a, a film called Emmanuel. I don't know whether you know I what that know is, it. but it's like a, it's a filthy French film. Right. Uh, which is um, just porn, really. Uh-huh. Uh Anyway, with six guys that I was doing hot picking with, uh, stoned out of our heads, uh, with my parents outside in the car waiting for me because my alibi had failed again. And that was like when they took me home and my dad um, put all my clothes, everything I owned on a bonfire in the garden, (gasps) poured petrol on it and burnt the whole bloody lot. Oh, Joe. I know. That's that's a a really big deal. (laughs) I know, I know. And also he knocked out this boyfriend of mine. What? Uh, once as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, knocked um, him out cold? Yeah. And how old uh, he, were you when this all happened? Uh, 17, maybe. Oh, my God. I know. He, but basically, this boyfriend who looked like Mark Bolin, he was quite posh. And um, he came, he brought me home late once. And that's the first time my parents had ever met him. And... Um, my dad said to him, you know, that cliche, what the hell are you doing bringing my daughter home at this time? Yeah. And uh, he said to him, oh, my dear chap. Right? <gasps> <laughs> my dad's like a dyed-in-the-wool working-class socialist. And he goes, if you call me that again, I'm going to hit you. And I can't think why he did this, but he went, but my dear oh, chap. God, oh, and God, my dad oh, God. lamped him and knocked him out, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. And, I mean, did you? how long were you going out with this bloke for? Well, it lasted six years, actually. Oh, right. so um, was... I know. Yeah, that's a but... lot. I mean, and was that at the expense of your relationship with your dad? I totally, and my mum. Oh, really? Um, and I kind of left home, and ironically, and um, rather sadly, the day that I moved in to uh, Bedsit, this guy I was going out with uh, started a job in London. So we only saw each other at the weekends for a bit. Right. And um, after about six months, he, he would kind of live with me during the week. Uh, after about six months, he used to come home on a Friday night and we would meet in the pub in the old town in Hastings mm. and because uh, he'd come in on the train. And I went to meet him at the pub and I was like half an hour early. And I walked into the pub and he was snogging someone <gasps> else in the court. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. So, um, and you broke yeah, up I, then? Uh, we broke up then. And in fact, what happened was uh, he was kind of a, a very sort of, you know, tempting and kind of mysterious character. It was like really hard for me to break up with him. And I thought, I can't stay where I am. Yeah. So I, I waited for him to go back to work in London. And then I moved um, right. in, in two days. And I moved to Tunbridge Wells where I went to school. And I had some friends. Okay. Um, there, so I kind of, you know, and through slept all on this, you weren't, floor. you weren't, it, it, uh, were you in touch with your mum and dad, or you were just, it, it was kind of not good. Not really. I would occasionally, um, yeah, I would call my mum, but I wouldn't really tell her what was going on because you were just ashamed of how it had panned out, or you just didn't feel that they could, you could talk about it with them. Uh, well, because it was like a kind of several very told you so right, moments, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I wouldn't have blamed them because they were absolutely right, but. Um, I moved to Tunbridge Wells and I worked full time in a pub for a year so I could get a job. And in fact, after about a year and a half, because I didn't tell him where I'd gone, mm. he tracked me down and walked into this pub and we got back together again. Oh, wow. Yeah. One of those so, sort of operas. Uh, indeed. And that went on for like three years, maybe. So, yeah. Did you make back, you made up with your parents later, though? You sorted it Oh, I out. did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably, like, as soon as I got rid of him, to be honest. Right. And in fact, the day that I split up with him, um, 
we were actually, where were we? In Torquay, that's right. And um, I just, basically, I'd been to stay with him for the weekend to see if we could salvage it. And, and he just, he was had a bit of a drinking problem and he just fed me so much drink all weekend that I, I was in a pub and I fell backwards off a bar stool because right. I was so pissed. Then he took me to a nightclub and um, I threw up sort of out of the window, except the window was closed. So um, I... <laughs> threw up down the window and then he I was like just really ill all night and the next morning we went to the beach and he went off to an off license to get a bottle of wine this is like 10 30 in the morning and I thought I cannot deal with this anymore so I just got in my car and drove to my mum's and um moved in with her for a bit she was really pleased yeah thank god that you got out of it absolutely so then nursing, so then you went to college after these jobs and you broke up with him and you kind of, what, do you, do you feel that you got your life together or you were getting your life on track or? Yeah, I feel that I did. I did get my life together. Uh, yeah, very much. And, and and that's where I kind of met my really, really um, close group of friends who I'm still with today. Yeah, yeah. Right. So this this picture, you're performing already. So you're, even though you're nursing and all the rest of it, you've already discovered the love of, for, for acting and performing and... So you knew what stand-up was at this stage? You knew of it? I did, because actually I left university in 1982, which is just about when the kind of alternative comedy scene uh, got going. And you were going... And when was the light bulb moment where you were like, I want to do that? So uh, what actually happened in the end was a friend of mine, um, his girlfriend was organising a benefit, and so she said stop going on about it, do this benefit and just see how it goes. And then if you want to keep doing it, fine. If you don't, stop talking to us about it, you know. <laughs> I so love I mates did. like that. I know. Just shut the I fuck know. up, mates. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So did the gig go well? The benefit went well, I take it? Uh, no. Oh! I was on at the end of the night, which was midnight. Yeah. Uh, everyone else had gone on, um, including, do you know a comic called Johnny Immaterial? I don't no. know if you remember him. No. no, he was so brilliant. And um, I thought he was hilarious. Well, he went on and died on his <gasps> arse. Oh, right, so that's the measure. And I was like... kind of thinking, I wasn't thinking, well, what chance have I got? I was thinking, oh, it'll be all right, because my rather too erudite five minutes on the works of Sigmund Freud <laughs> <laughs> will really storm it. And uh, went went on, and it just so happened there were two um, comedians in the audience who I didn't know at all um, right. from the alternative circuit. And as soon as I came on, uh, one of them was called Tony Green. He was the main protagonist. Um, as soon as I came on, he just started chanting immediately, "Fuck off, you fat <gasps> cow!" over and oh. over again. And I, um, I had had seven pints of lager because I was so nervous waiting yeah. to go on. So I was off my head and oh. he was doing that to me. And so I, re- I soldiered on ridiculously, to oh. be honest. I should have just walked off. And I just, in the end, they were all shouting abuse at me. So I just went off. But that's amazing that you, that was your first gig and you, you didn't, Pack it in. I mean, there must have been something in you that was like, right, I am going to come back and do this again and again and again. Yeah, I think what helped was being so drunk because I, I used to use that technique in Edinburgh, that show Late and Live, you know, it yeah. starts at one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I used to try and get as drunk as the audience. Then <laughs> I didn't care so much what, what they did. 
and I would just get like very kind of arty with them and quite aggressive. Um, and that seemed to work. They seemed to like that. I mean, what's amazing as well about that story is, as you were telling me that there were other comics in the audience, and I thought you were going to say, and they said to me, we can see that you've got potential. <laughs> but oh, actually, yeah. they shouted abuse. No, well, that pair, Tony Green and Ian Hinchcliffe, uh, they were called, they were more kind of sort of performance anarchists. So oh, what God. they would do is like they would they would throw like a glass bottle on the floor and then they would lie on it and roll in it so their backs were bleeding. You know, it oh wasn't really it wasn't really comedy. Yeah, it wasn't a supportive environment. <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny. It's it's <laughs> but, so know. it's so interesting because you've come through at a time a different time because I talk to other comics and they talk about courses and safe spaces where you're given room to play and you talk about this kind of shit where you have these anarchists. Oh. Oh rolling God, about yeah. in glass and that's that's how you develop as an act so this picture this other photograph of you with loads of comics on stage is this so you're 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 a comic now a professional comic or uh yeah i would say so it's quite early on in my career i can tell by what i'm wearing and my shoes because oh, i've right. got red red dms on and that was kind of for the first sort of two or three years maybe three years into me starting uh-huh. and uh, that was a that was kind of a theatre and first of all it's a really good example of how shit photography was in those days yeah. because uh, that was taken um you know not not by a professional photographer but it's such a bad photo because the whole top of the photo is dark yeah. and nothing doing the figures are kind of quite small in it but actually there's kind of quite a few characters in there. Yeah, that, I that, can recognise a few. I see yeah. Emily Azard and, and Sean Locks in there. Yeah, that's right. And then Bill Bailey's wife, Chris, is kind of behind Nigel, who plays the guitar for John Hegley. So it's just to me, like, I've never had got a picture with a greater lineup of comics in it. And it just, I look back on that and I think, oh, look at that. It, it was, and Kev Day is standing next to me. Yeah. So, uh, it's yeah, an exciting it was, time. Really exciting time. And I have to say, you know, I never as a woman felt excluded or in any way kind of sidelined. It's interesting, especially like with women in comedy, often people project a narrative onto you that you don't necessarily experience. I mean, you know, I've had some kind of very interesting um, things because like a lot of right wing journalists have always just assumed that all men hate me with the Mm. exception of my father, and he was probably the only one that did hate me for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm got it wrong joking, altogether. But, but, you know, I, I remember once reading, like, a diary piece because someone mentioned it to me. I don't know if you've got those kind of friends in inverted commas that say, oh, wasn't that awful, that piece about you yeah. in the papers? And then you you're, you're, you wouldn't have read it, but you're absolutely then, you know, obligated to read yeah. it now they've told you. Um, and anyway, it just I was doing a gig at the Hackney Empire, and it was a kind of... Um, I think it was a Greenpeace gig, possibly. And the actress Julie Christie, who's obviously way out of my orbit, came on and gave a speech at the end. And this diary piece said, uh, Julie Christie um, uh, probably uh, didn't bump into Joe Brand uh, because Joe Brand was on much earlier. Thank thank God for her because I bet she really hates Joe Brand and thinks she's a pain or something like that, mm. you know. It was really not nice. Yeah. And um kind of a week later I actually got a letter from Julie Christie oh, wow. saying 
that uh, she loved my work and that the piece was wrong and she'd written to them to tell them that. So, oh, there we you are. Know, yeah. is... They want the cat fight, don't they? They don't want the female solidarity story. That's absolutely right, I know. And they couldn't imagine how someone who was kind of blonde and gorgeous and had been in that iconic kind of Far From The Madding Crowd mm. film could possibly want to even talk to someone like me, you know. It was all... There was a lot I, of that. You, you, there was only you and a few more that went before me when I started. and But all the men... I don't remember really that much misogyny coming from other male comics. I, it was often from journalists and... I totally agree, yeah. I, I don't think there ever really was much coming from male comics either. Uh, you know, even into sort of all the generations after mine. I, yeah. I always think it was sort of kind of invented you know by these sort of journalists that that sort of represent that section of society that think women aren't funny yeah you know. uh, where, where <coughs> is that picture taken is that an edinburgh shop i think it was at the wimbledon theater but don't quote me on that because i can see um two two guys at the back who are virtually hidden they used to uh run a, pu- a comedy gig at a pub called the leather bottle in wimbledon where um, I remember Eddie the Lennon started. Yeah. yeah. This photograph you sent because because we've jumped again out of cr- chronological order because there's another photo that's an old shot. Is that your mum and dad's wedding? Yeah. Uh, basically, my dad um, was uh, a, uh, about to go on uh, national service. Ah, uh, that's why he's in uniform. Yeah, and. Um, because in those days, everyone had to do it, you yeah. know. So he was he was about to go off. And they're to young. Benga. Yeah, he's twenty two. My mum's eighteen. Sorry, I cut you off there. Where did he go for national service? Um, Benghazi in Libya. Oh wow! I know. Uh, totally different kettle of fish today, obviously, mm. um, politically. But what happened was, um, my mum wanted to go out with him. Right. And um, this is so typical of my mum. And uh, they said no. So she went up to Whitehall to the general's office that was in charge of sending people. And she went in there for 10 minutes. I'm not in... No, I don't know what she did in there, but it was just talking. But she persuaded him and he wow. let her go out to um, Libya and live with the officers' wives. How long so, was she out there for? Uh, I think um, sort of a yearish, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. Did you have a big wedding? Uh, no, I did a very small wedding actually. In um, it was in a church, and it was in Ludlow, um, where my uh, mum lives. Right. And um, had about twenty people there, maybe. Um, I was kind of slightly obsessed with the press not finding out. Right. Okay. Um, because I didn't want them to come and bugger it all up. No, fair enough. Um, so they can do that, can't they, the press? Oh, they, yeah, big time, <laughs> absolutely. Um, no, they, 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 they rather charmingly, well, the son rather charmingly, when they did find out 10 days later, gave me a, a nice front page um, wow. of the sun headline which said, here comes the bride all fat and wide. Bloody so, uh, yeah, uh, you know. What can you do? Oh, Joe, man, like the it, sun, you and the sun, they do, re- it's like do. a saga. I know, I know. Well, it was Gary Bushel originally, yeah, of and uh, yeah, it just went on. You're very anyway, sanguine about all that. I always sort of admire that. I'm not really, Kerry. I was at the time. I wasn't at the time, but I think 
you know, in the end, you have to learn to live with it. You have to understand that there's a lot of people. I mean, I think with my comedy, it's not exactly middle of the road. And I know there's a lot of people that can't stand what I do. And um, and, and fair enough, you know. And mm. so that is going to be reflected uh, politically in in the more right-wing tabloids, you know. But you're really um, good at articulating that. Like, you don't ever become... You're not bitter about it or... Fu- you know, you, I, I admire the way that you're able to kind of articulate that and understand it culturally and politically. Uh, well... Yeah, but it, that's all with the benefit of hindsight, if yeah. you like. Yeah, you know. no, I bet. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there we go. No, Nobody did find out, so it was, it was quite good fun keeping it secret. And have I you mean, got my, pictures of it? Uh, yes, I have, and um, I'll show them to you, but I just feel... No, they're private, yeah. You know, yeah. No, I get it. Did you know that we've had uh, a picture sent that you haven't seen from your brother? Well, I did get a... Yes, I did know he was sending something, but I didn't know what it was. So, can you see this picture? I can. There's a lovely, very smart caravan there, yeah. Oh, man, I love a caravan. me and my brothers. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So, do you know where you are in this picture? Uh... We did sort of go um, abroad quite a bit, but I think that's kind of somewhere like Cornwall or Devon, actually. Right. Um, so how old where... do you think you are? Uh, I think I'm probably eight or nine, maybe. Is that your mum? That's my mum. Yeah, obviously taken by my dad. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and uh, I think my, you can tell that my we're probably quite a way into the holiday by then and no one's got any clean clothes. <laughs> you're holding an egg. <laughs> <laughs> I love it that you're holding an egg. I've no idea why I'm holding an egg. Um, it's I, so great that know. you are. I mean, it just captures that kind of rural country. Of course you're holding an egg. You just found an egg. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we just, we yeah, absolutely, we've been to see some chickens. Maybe, I think we were on a farm, actually, now yeah. I think of it. Oh, was that a family caravan? Uh, yes, it was, yeah. And did you yeah, have it my for dad, a long time? So, yeah, I think we had it for quite a few years. I, my dad used to like to think that, uh, you know, he was a bit of a connoisseur of... Uh, caravan holidays so you know if you look at the size of it can you imagine that we actually all got in there and slept well yes I can because I love camping and we've got a camper van and I I, it's the fact that it's tiny and that you can fit a whole family in it that appeals to me. Yeah. I mean, do your, do your kids like camping? Do they uh, still Not like now. It? They've grown out of it now. No, but I think no, when kids enough. are little, there's just nothing better. I just think it's the best holidays. Yeah. As you can see, like my big brother, Bill, has got a fishing rod. Um, oh, yes. And he, he's still obsessed with fishing. He goes fishing five times a year to a lake in France. And my little brother, Matt... For years, that is how he thought you smiled for the camera. <laughs> and why not? That is a... We could go, we go, Matt, do your smiley face. And he'd do that. It's so that sweet. That is a great smile. <laughs> but, but when you have a childhood where you camp and you've got, like this picture, it just captures, captures the ideal of a camping family holiday. I think as an adult, you're always trying to get it back. You're always trying to recapture that. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. You are, but I mean, I have to say that with our family, because of my dad's depression, it was yeah. the cracks were kind of starting to show a bit. Not not you know not terrible at this point really, but he did sort of have a terrible temper, right. and he he could 
ruin a holiday in 10 minutes flat. Could he do know? a Nuts so, in May? Nuts, do you remember the bloke? Oh, God, with... <laughs> I love Nuts in May. Yeah, Keith. Keith. Keith and Candice Marie. Keith and Candice yeah. Marie. That's why I was thinking so having a breakdown on a campsite is a very specifically British thing. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, my yeah, my dad. There, there are quite a few incidences of him, you know, right losing it a bit. Do you think and, that's why uh, your brother sent that? Is because it captures a time before your dad, your dad's depression. I, yeah, took I think it, it it probably is. You know, I mean, my mum. Let's look at her. She doesn't look that happy, does she? Um, and in fact, the only person that's making a nice face is my little brother. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. I think these things are kind of. If it's towards the end of the holiday, sometimes you're a bit stressed out, aren't right. you? You've kind of you, you can do a sort of you can do a kind of limited time, and then it starts to get a bit stressful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe that's what was going on. I don't know. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. Your your pictures Absolute have been great. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. That's it for this week. The rest of Series 1 is available with all the photos on our Instagram page. And Jen and I will be doing new episodes every week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.